So one of the promises is that as he is, so are we in this world, right? Yes. It can't fail. And it shall come to pass, because it is already coming to pass. It is and is ongoing. So you are just like him in this world. And you might be your own worst critic, but he's not. He's your best cheerleader. So we go, yay, God. All right, we're going to go high tech today. I might throw some retro tech in. I don't know yet. Um, But for those who are listening later on by recording, there is a PowerPoint. And if anybody wants a copy, I can provide it. So I've entitled this, this is the Fullness of Life series. This is going to be the first of many. Because one of the promises is we will see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. And I don't know about you, but I think I'm in the land of the living because I ain't dead yet. (laughs) So I expect and I do see the the goodness of the Lord. Uh, I want to see a greater measure of it, as I'm sure we all do. It's just one of those ever unfolding, just like the reality, you know, as I've told you before in the Greek, there is no, there really is no noun. It's really everything is in the Greek is verb. And so when Jesus said it's finished, it's an event, but it's an ongoing. When God said you, you are as he is, so are you in this world. It is a now and it's an ongoing revelation. And as he said, his promises are yes and amen. They're a now and they're an ongoing revelation. And so all of those things about the fullness of life um, and about going into it from a perspective of this, this series is it's now, but it's also unfolding. And sometimes we call that a mystery. How many of you like to read mysteries? Well, most mysteries are based on fiction. But God is based on reality, because he is reality. And so we have this part one of this series I call Life with Trinity. So when I say the word Trinity, what does that suggest to you? Three. Three. Father, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Unity. Oneness. You know, in the 40,000 plus denominations, not everybody believes in Trinity. Greg did a good job of talking about that. The word Trinity does not appear in the Bible. He talked about that a few weeks back. And again, I would encourage you to listen to that one again. Why do we want to consider the Trinity? What's significant about Trinity? Now, if you've been around here for a while, you should have some ideas. Is it? Perichoritic circle, yeah. What did you say, Jen? Yes. Relationship. Gosh, maybe I can skip part one and go to... Oh, no, I don't have part two ready, sorry. Um, but, yeah, why consider the Trinity? William Paul Young, the author of The Shack, wrote a foreword to a book called The Great Dance by Richard Rohr, which was published a couple of years ago. And In the foreword, he, go, he talks about one alone is not by nature love or laugh or sing. One alone may be a prime mover, unknowable, invisible, all. And if everything is all, and all is one, 
One is alone. One is self-centered. One is not love. One is not laugh. One is not song. What do you think he's saying by that? Go back to when we did Baxter Kruger's book about the, the uh, great dance. A singular God has no way of identifying with anyone else of his equal, right? So he really can't enjoy fellowship. He really can't laugh because it's all about him. And he's never going to laugh at himself. And it's always self-centered. And so when that kind of God demands love, he's actually demanding use totally subservient yourself to him. How does that make you feel? Um, oppressed. oppressed. Like a pawn. Like a pawn. Wow. There are multiple denominations of Protestantism that consider God to be one, not three and one. That's what you get. He also says two. Yin and yang, dark and light, male, female, contending dualism, affirming evil and good, and striving towards balance, at best face-to-face, but never community. What's he saying? If God is two and not three, or God is two and not one, you're going to get what? Contention. Tree of the knowledge of good and evil dualism becomes the reality, right? And so, contention, competition, strife is part of that perception of a God. But if God is three... I'll put a comment in here. Well, if you have, have something something that's to stand on, you put two legs, it will either go over and go that way. True. Two-legged stool is not very safe to sit on. No. <laughs> you got to have a lot of balance. And I remember one time, years ago, Carol and I were at Bella Vista Church, and there was a pastor that, that preached on balance and said there's no balance in the kingdom, and I thought he was nuts. I don't know if you remember that, but it disturbed me because I was striving for balance. But with God, there's no balance because it's relationship. And as we're going to discover in a minute, sometimes relationship is messy, mostly from our side. So three, face-to-face-to-face suggests community, but it also suggests an ambiguity or a mystery. Three, love for the other and the other's love. Three, within, other-centered, self-giving, loving, singing, laughter, And ultimately, a fourth is created, ever loved and loving. That's the Trinity. That's the Father, Son, Holy Spirit living face to face. Community. And always other-centered. So God looks at you and he's always about you, not about him. He's always about blessing you never demanding anything in return. Because if you demand in return, it's now what? Self-centered. So God is always other-centered. And in his love, he is constantly pouring out. What's the fruit of the Spirit? 
love, joy, peace, patience, goodness, kindness, faith. Amen. Donna gets the star for today because she just said it quickly. I had to stop and think, and I didn't even get all the way through it. The above statement by Young suggests that there is something deeply profound about Trinity. That something is relationship. True relationship is only possible if not all about ourselves, not about me first. How many of you remember your wedding ceremony? Pastor, the preacher, the whoever discusses love not being all about you, but it's about giving. Yet relationships are entwined, entrenched, elusive, messy, enabling, enrapturing, maddening, exhilarating, frustrating, exposing, and too too beautiful for words. That's Paul Young in his Forward to the Divine Dance. Can anybody relate to that? There's joy. There's scratching your head. There's exhilaration. There's frustration in the normal relationships between humans. And in our relationship with God, we experience that. Why? Why do we experience some of those emotions, some of those thoughts about God? Because we love ourselves sometimes more than we love Yeah. Because sometimes our relationship with God is self-centered first. And so then we blame Him for things. And we get frustrated and sometimes we shake our fist. I don't think I've ever seen anybody go, God power, as they're shaking their fist. But we go, God, why why aren't you there? And so there's this tension in relationship, even with God. But how many of you know tension can be good? Because tension can spur you to make change, can spur you to approach differently. Or it can drive you to the funny farm if you don't deal with it. That was probably a politically incorrect statement, but yet it is relationship that provides the backdrop and framing for the art of our lives. You are a a masterpiece of God. You are artwork apart from which our colors would simply disperse into the darkness, formless and void, awaiting the hovering of the Spirit to collect them and, with her shades of hues, breathe into us to set them free. And this is also a quote from Paul Young. If we live outside of relationship, we dry up. No man is an island is a truthful statement. And if we live without relationship with God, it tends to harden our hearts and we tend to become hard, bitter, angry, frustrated, no hope, no joy, no peace. Instead, only trouble comes. And so, and I kind of like this because it's sort of this, if you've been listening to Steve McVeigh at all, he starts talking about the quantum and what happens is when you when you begin to dry up, it's like oh, you become formless, you become void, like in the beginning. And so when that happens, then what does it take to free you back up, to reinvigorate you with life? It takes the Holy Spirit coming back 
and, and just going, come back, come back, come back to relationship. And it's all about perception and perspective. We talk about that a lot. An improper perception and perspective about Trinity is a problem. And that problem means if, if we start from the wrong idea about God, we end up with a wrong understanding with an, of our relationship with God. And I'm, I'm going to show you a quote from, from Paul Young here. Your first thought is going to go, ah, but that's okay, because it means your blood's flowing. Young says it this way, Bad theology is like pornography. The imagination of a real relationship without the risk of one. It tends to be transactional and propositional rather than relational and mysterious. You don't have to trust person or care for person. It becomes an exercise in self-gratification that ultimately dehumanizes the self and the community of humanity in order to avoid the painful process of humbling and trusting. Bad theology is not a victimless crime. It dehumanizes God and turns the wonder and messy mystery of intimate relationship into a centerfold to be used and discarded. What's he saying here, guys? Someone talk to me. It's not real. It's not real. When you look at pornography and what's happening on the screen, it's not the way God intended it. It's not the way you relate to one another. It's, it's this pretend. It's this idealized. It's this you know, self-gratification thing, but it's not real. It's, it, nobody acts that way. Nobody behaves that way. It's not intentional. It's not from the heart. It's It's not genuine either. And when you have a bad understanding of Trinity, about God as a Trinity, then you have a bad understanding of theology and that relationship is on faulty ground. And look at our society today. Our society today has begun to dehumanize people at every level. When you can put out a a bill that allows abortion after birth for a period of time, I mean, I don't call it abortion, I call it murder at that point, but they call it abortion. That's a total devaluation of life, period. And why is that? Because their theology is bad. They have rejected the Trinitarian life of God. And when you reject the Trinitarian life of God, your mind will invent its own God. And that's a problem. The Blessed Trinity, Richard Rohr in the Divine Dance says, the Blessed Trinity is supposed to be a central, even the paramount foundational doctrine of our entire Christian belief system. And as Greg posed to you six weeks ago, how many of you, other than outside of this place, had heard a sermon or a teaching on the Trinity in your entire walk with God? Never. So what's the, what's the possibility then that our theology, before we began to study grace and began to study uh, some of the books and writings of, of Baxter Kruger and, and Steve McVeigh, What's the possibility that our theology was skewed? Pretty good. But it is the most misunderstood doctrine of Christianity. Greg's teaching from the end of March 2019, I really encourage you to go back and listen to it. It is on the website. 
but it was an awesome foundational piece for where I want to take this. And the reality is Trinity has, was not specifically talked about the first couple hundred years, but it was a process of working through issues in the church that led to the ultimate formation of the concept of Trinity. Although the scriptures are there, nobody had put it together for about three, four hundred years. There were beginning to be some towards the end of the second century. Some people started to put it together. But when you step back and you go, wow, it makes so much sense when you think about it because God is relational. If he's not, if he's not three in one, how can he be relational? To be anything other than three in one is to be demanding, to be self-centered, to be please me. So, Carl Rayner, a Jesuit scholar, says Christians are in their practical life almost mere monotheists. Most of us don't think about God as Trinity. And I can tell you, you know, I went through this season of my life where it was all about Jesus. Then it was all about God, the Father. Then it was all about the Holy Spirit. Never the three shall meet. I went through that in my life. And talk about messing up theology. Who do I pray to? I, I you know, I, I kept, you know, I, we had these discussions. Well, do I pray to the Father in Jesus' name? Or do I ask the Holy Spirit? I mean, what's a person to do? And that's because we just don't have a good understanding. Richard Rohr says, if Trinity is supposed to describe the very heart of the nature of God, and yet it has almost no practical or pastoral implications in most of our lives, if it's, even, if it's even possible that we could drop it tomorrow and it would be a forgettable throwaway doctrine, then either it can't be true or we don't understand it. And there are, like I said, multiple denominations that don't believe in Trinity. They've dropped it. And part of it is they don't understand it. It's easier to drop it because you, you, you can't figure it out. But is God truly unknowable? Mm -mm. He truly wants to be known. But part of it is we need to spend the time searching for, for the Holy Spirit to tell us the truth. And it's not like I'm trying to call him in or anything, but it's like, Holy Spirit, I want to know truth. If you ask the Holy Spirit to show you truth, you think he's going to give you a lie? No. He's going to show you truth because he's the spirit of truth. Take a look at this picture. What do you see? Three people. Speak up, because I want to get it on tape. One tree. One tree. What color do you see here with the person on the left? Golden. What do you see with the person in the middle primarily? And what do you see with the person on the right? Mixed. Somebody else says something else. Green. green. You've got primarily gold, primarily blue, primarily green. Anybody know what this is, this picture's called? Trinity by, do you know who? Rublev. You got half it right. Mm -hmm. So you got a star and a half going so far today, Donna. You're good. This is Andre Rublev's icon of the Trinity painted in the 15th century. Three primarily colors, gold representing the Father, blue the human Son, 
screen the Holy Spirit, the Trinity. What are they doing? What does it look like they're doing? Contemplating each other. Sharing out of one bowl. Out of one bowl. What else? Mm-hmm. What does that suggest? They have the, the Son and the Spirit are bending towards the Father. The Father is bending towards them. What does that suggest? Relationship. Relationship. Right? Mm-hmm. And what better place for relationship than at the table with food? But yet their halos are equal. But yet their halos are equal. Suggesting What? Three in one. Three of the same substance. Powerful picture when you stop and contemplate it. They all have rods. They all have what? Rods, like fishing rods. Fishing rods. Oh, you mean here? Could be. Maybe they all fish together. Gee, that would be pretty cool though, wouldn't it? They're each holding a staff. Okay, their faces are almost identical. What about the hands? What do you see in the hands? Anything? What do you see in this hand in the center? An openness. Now, note the rectangle. See the rectangle? It was not uncommon for iconic displays of this type back in that time frame to have a mirror there, right where the rectangle is. Now, if there's a mirror there, what does that suggest? That you're with them. That you're with them. Yes. You're at the table. You're at the table. Your eyes are focused to the Father and the Yes, and remember earlier the quote about three leads to four? And four is us, community. Powerful. There's a four-legged table. There's a four-legged table, you're right, Norman. Powerful. But if you didn't see it today and you saw it on the screen at home, would you have spent time looking at it if I hadn't prompted you? Mm-mm. What did we do today with this? And, and we did it from a perspective intentionality. And what did God speak to us? Community, relationship, equal status between Father, Son, and Spirit. There's a lot to this. And we're there with them. I don't know. It looks like a platform of some kind with with smaller legs. But notice where the bowl is in relationship to this side of the table. If we're sitting in the in the position in front of the mirror, the bowl is closest to us. It's inviting you to partake. Interesting. 
And this was one man's vision 500 years ago of the Trinity. And why haven't we seen that in our walk before? What's that? Okay. Here. God is often portrayed with wings. Yeah. But the reason we haven't seen this is because for the last 250 to 300 years, the evangelical church has suppressed icons in the lexicon in the, in the vocabulary of our lives because icons are a graven image. Except in the council, there was a council in 752 AD that said icons were totally acceptable in the worship of God. But evangelical Christianity has rejected that council and said you can't have any graven images of God. So we don't get things like this in an evangelical perspective because we are now saying this is idolatry. Everything that you've said comes out of this picture and did you feel lifted up when you were saying those things or looking at it? And that's the fascinating part about Trinity is that God relates to us in full relationship and, it, and it's supposed to lift us up. That relationship lifts us up. It doesn't mean we don't have challenges in, the, in our relationship because sometimes those challenges come from our horizontal relationships that then we transfer to God. But that's, I think, impressive. And I have been looking at this picture for a couple of weeks now, and every time I look at it, it seems like something more jumps out. So the concept of Trinity as, tra- as treated in traditional evangelical Christianity has been treated as a mystery not capable of human understanding. Thus, we don't teach about it. But Richard Rohr says, remember, mystery isn't something that you cannot understand. It is something you can endlessly understand. There is no point at which you can say, I've got it. Always and forever mystery gets you. I mean, you, you will never 100% know mystery, but you can know mystery. You read the mystery novel and you get to the end of the book, but before you get to the end of the book, more often than not, you've probably figured it out. Right? Because there's always clues along the way in a mystery novel to get you to the conclusion. And then when you get to the end, you go, yep, got it. Or sometimes you go, boy, I missed that one because you didn't figure it out. You got it wrong. And so the end of the book, you're, if you've missed it going through, all of a sudden there's an adjustment to your thinking. There's an adjustment to your understanding. And God is constantly adjusting our understanding of mystery. But mystery is not bad, and it's not something to be afraid of. Life is a mystery. Sometimes I go home and Carol and I don't even know what the day is going to be like when we get together because it's a mystery sometimes. And there's, there can be great joy, great development and growth in mystery. As a mystery, it's knowable but not totally knowable. This seeming contradiction does not mean we cannot obtain an ever-unfolding revelation of Trinity. If we approach with a humble heart and ask Him to reveal Himself to us, then we can engage and participate in God's flow. God has a flow, right? There's a flow to the kingdom, which is radical relatedness, a perfect communion. 
As described by early church fathers as well as modern church fathers, it's a circle dance of love. Our first look at that was Baxter Kruger, if you remember his book. And so it requires us to to rethink our database, in a sense, or or our knowledge of God. And take a minute and look at John 17 here. We're going to go through verses 1 through 5. Jesus spoke these things, and lifting up his eyes to heaven, he said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son, that the Son may glorify you, even as you have given him authority over all flesh, that to all whom you have given him, he may give eternal life. So that's concept one I want you to hang on to. God is saying, I'm giving you eternal life. Eternal, without beginning and end. That which always has been and always will be, never to cease, everlasting. Hmm. Eternal. Before the foundation of the universe, I knew you. You're an eternal being. And life, zoe, oh, by the way, that eternal word eternal, ionis, if you've been listening to Don, there's different, there's different variations of that word, but the word ion in and of itself means a period of time, but when used in the context of ionis, it means without limit. You have eternal life without limit. Life. The state of one who is possessed of vitality or is animate. How many of you feel like you're possessed of vitality? Depend on the moment, huh? (laughs) Of the absolute fullness of life, both essential and ethical, which belongs to God and through him, both to the hypostatic logos and to Christ in whom the logos put in part. Hypostatic logos is the concept of the union of God the Son as God with the Son of Man as man. That's the word, hypostatic union. God comes in hypostatic union and he bridges that gap. How many of you feel like you have absolute fullness of life? Depends on the moment, right? Life real and genuine, a life active and vigorous, devoted to God, blessed in the portion, even in this world, of those who put their trust in Christ. But after the resurrection, to be consummated by by new ascensions, among them a more perfect body. Say, yea, God and to last forever. There is a day coming when this mystery of now unfolds into the mystery later of a new life in the form of a new body, but our essence is still the same. And we have genuine, we should have today, now, a genuine active life with vigor, blessed, but there's part of it is, there's there's a level of understanding or devotion to God that accelerates this. Christ came for all, and he's given it all life, and he's given all life eternal. But if I'm going to experience the fullness of it now, I have to have a level of interaction with him. The more interaction, the more devotion, the more relationship, the greater the revelation, the greater the revelation, the greater the quality of life. And I, you know, and most of, well, all of you know, Spent a lot of years living a low-quality life because I was locked in that evangelical philosophy and theology like most of you were, and it messed with us. Mm-hmm. And trying to break out of it messed with us even more. 
I mean, it was very unsettling, breaking out of traditional evangelical thought into grace. And it took some years for dust to settle. But as that dust was settling, joy has begun to spring up. Hope has begun to spring up. And so, the concept of a Zoe life, a vital life, a life of fullness, is becoming more real. I mean... All of you who've known me for a long time know that I had this aberrant hatred of exercise. But five, six weeks, well, about eight weeks ago now, God put it in my heart to work out. Go figure. And I don't mind working out now. In fact, it's almost like if I don't, it's like, well, I'm missing something today. And so... This shifts into joy. It shifts into the fruit of the Spirit the more we embrace community with God. I can fight community. I can fight relationship. But He's going to not stop coming. For me, once I've shifted into coming into the desire for the relationship, accepting His desire for relationship, this begins to happen in my life. Doesn't mean it's going to change overnight. But it does mean that we should begin to notice some some differences and it'll sneak up on us. You know, for... Give you an example. For months... You know, I had two whiplash injuries when I... In the early late 90s and early 2000. And whenever I get stressed, it's, it settles into this left part of my neck. And over the last since I started working out, it got worse to the point where two weeks ago, it was just continuous pain. The joy of working out, right? And the doctor, the chiropractor suggested I do an acoustical treatment, which was the same treatment they did on my hamstring, which healed then in four weeks instead of eight. And I thought, okay, so I did that on Tuesday. Friday night, we're here at worship, and I have this recognition of there's no pain. Oh, wow. And as soon as I said that to myself, my neck tightened up. Not that there's pain, but it's tight. But, uh, but that's kind of like this relationship with God. Suddenly, we have an aha moment, and things look differently, and then we start questioning it. And that's that questioning that is that preconditioning that he's breaking in us. This is, this is John uh, 17.3 then. This is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God in Jesus Christ whom you have sent. That's eternal life. And that word know is significant because that word know shows up throughout the New Testament. Know, knowledge. I glorified you on the earth having accomplished the work you gave me or you have given me to do, now, Father, glorify me together with yourself, with the glory which I have, I had with you before the world was. Two things. The word know is significant, and this thought about the glory which I had with you before the world was. What does that suggest about Father, Son? They existed before the foundation of the universe. And they both had glory. So if they both had glory, it suggests they are of the same substance. Right? No. Gnosko. 
to learn to know, to come to know, get a knowledge of, perceive, feel. To know, to understand, to perceive, to have knowledge of. And it's the Jewish idiom for sexual intercourse between a man and a woman. Intimacy. To become acquainted with, to know. There's a process of knowing God. That process accelerates as we understand there's God in Trinity and three in one. And as that process accelerates, then that Zoe life increases and manifests in a more rapid way. To know God. To learn to know, though, suggests what? Ongoing. Ongoing. Being intentional. If you want to sit on a, at home on the couch and watch soap opera after soap opera after soap opera, it's going to be a little hard for God to break through because your mind is over here. It doesn't mean he isn't going to break through. It just means he's probably got to short-circuit your TV. <laughs> <laughs> Not saying that I'm asking for that, but somewhere along the line, you've got to get off the couch and you've got to be open. And it's okay to say, God, I don't truly understand all of this. Show me. God, I'm from Missouri. Show me. Right? The show me state. Second Peter 1. Simon Peter, a bondservant and apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who have received a faith of the same kind as ours by the righteousness of God and Savior Jesus Christ, grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge, there's that gnosis word, of God and of Jesus our Lord, seeing that his divine power has granted to us everything pertaining to life and godliness. How? Through the true knowledge of him. Who called us by his own glory and excellence. For by these he has granted to us his precious and magnificent promises, so that by them you may become partakers of the divine nature, having erased the corruption that is in the world by lust. Wow. True knowledge is attainable when it comes to God. There will always be a mystery component, though. Because we won't always see how it plays out down the road. Until we get down the road. The question is, do I want to move down the road? And in my evangelical days, I thought I had to work for true knowledge. I thought I had to pray so many hours a, a week or read so many texts of scripture a week or serve the local church body or give my tithe or or, or, and you know why? There wasn't a lot of joy. There wasn't a lot of peace. But God broke through. Take a look at Philemon 1.6, and I pray that the, fellow, that the fellowship of your faith may become effective through the knowledge of every good thing which is in your life for Christ's sakes. It's the knowledge again. You can know God. You may not know Him completely, even in eternity, but you can know God. And that ought to trigger a joy reaction. 
that ought to trigger a hope, that ought to trigger an anticipation. Because he wants to be known. Cover a couple more things. Abundant life now. John 10.10 The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. There are buzzwords. Thief, steal, life, abundantly. Thief. An embezzler. A pilferer. The name is transferred to false teachers who do not care to instruct men but abuse their confidence for their own gain. Weren't we taught early on that that was the devil was the thief? It's not the devil. An embezzler has to be someone in relationship. And I don't think any of you have ever been in relationship with the devil. A pilferer. A false teacher. Who were the false teachers when Jesus gave this? Sadducees and the Pharisees. And what did they do? Look at me. Look at me. I've got the best dress clothes. I go to the best synagogue. I have the best education. Oh, I'm glad I'm not like you. Steal. Klepto. To steal, to commit a theft. Take away by theft. Take away by stealth. False teachers take away by stealth because they deny you the truth. They hide it from you. Oh, man. I think some of back to some of those messages I taught in my ignorance. <laughs> yeah. And then again, we have Zoe life here. He talks about life again. The state of one possessive of vitality. I'm not going to cover all of that again, but the false teachers, the thief, steal your vitality. They steal life. They steal the abundant life by holding you, holding you into bondage to a false doctrine of God. Abundantly. I want this. Exceeding some number or measure or rank or need. Over and above more than is necessary. Super added, exceedingly, abundantly, supremely, something further, more, much more than all, more plainly. Superior, extraordinary, surpassing, uncommon. Preeminent, superiority, advantage, more eminent, more remarkable, more excellent. That's you. Hypergrace. In my old days, I would say, get with the program. But that's too much like works. <laughs> but this is us. We're called to this. We're called to an abundant life. We're called to be extraordinary by doing everything we do on a daily basis in connection with God. How many of you have had those aha moments when you've been communicating with someone and God just dropped something for them? That's extraordinary. And how many of you know that as God has added, I mean, there are entrepreneurs and there are visionaries out there that God drops things onto. Try this. Do this. And it opens up new avenues. That's the kind of God that we have. But again, it comes back to a level of, re, of relationship. The more relationship, the more manifestation. And I'm not saying we have to work for the relationship. We have to be open to the relationship. 
It exists. Are we open to it? So who is the thief? It's not the devil, a demon, a principality of power, or someone, some ethereal being. I was going to take you through all of those verses. I'm, I'm going to skip through that because I think you get the point. It's the false teachers who communicate wrong ideas about God or who reject God, say secular humanist, Congress. <laughs> uh, there's a lot of secular humanists in control of the House of Representatives right now. They, and that creates a blockage. If you tie into the political structure, you're going to have a blockage of the flow of relationship and then therefore you're not going to feel abundant life and you're not going to experience it. So to live the abundant life, we must know God. Know in the sense of that word we just talked about. Be open to relationship. Be willing and intentional to engage. Be willing to have your theology corrected. Theology is not something that we hold tightly to. It's something we hold lightly to. We must recognize that the thief wants to keep us from knowing God. And we must therefore be intentional about our relationship with God. I said relationship, not works or performance orientation. Works and performance orientation will not increase your relationship and knowledge of God. Knowledge in that experiential realm. Experiential relationship with God. That's what he wants. So I think I'm going to stop here. So we're going to, next week, well, two weeks, we'll, we'll discuss Trinity more. And I'll give you a little hint that you can ponder. Father is not spirit. Spirit is not son. Son is not father. Father is God. Spirit is God. Son is God. And collectively, they are love. And that's where we're going to pick up in a couple weeks. You all look dazed. Okay? So, Father, we thank you for today. We thank you for the mothers in this room, Lord. Knowing who I am, I know my mother went through a lot. And so, Father, we thank you that mothers have been given an extra measure of endurance. And that today you strengthen them with love and joy as you pour out your heart's wishes on them today. But more openly than that, Lord, we thank you for the fact that we can have a relationship with Trinity. We thank you that as Trinity, we are connected to Father, Son, and Holy Spirit all the time. And that the influence of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit is even more influential than the roles of mothers on the earth. And so we praise you today. I pray that what was spoken today will will be something people will mull on, God, as we move forward and seek to understand who you are and seek to understand how we relate to you and then how the abundant life flows out of that. And so I bless each one here. I just praise you for creating each one here. Thank you that your healing power is at work from the center of our core outward into the fullness of every cell of our body this morning that all pain is treated by the Spirit of God releasing healing from within and that all mindsets are readjusted to the frequency of the heavenly King today. In Jesus' name, amen.